Thank you, fifth and sixth graders and Mrs. Martinez. Lovely song. Well, I mentioned to you in the, uh, in the children's story that I didn't know I was going to tell about my two sons, Aaron and Adam. And I think I was thinking about them to grab that story because I had another story right here at the beginning of the sermon about them. Same story, actually, about them beating each other up. Of course, if you have children, you know what that's like, you know. People always say when they have one, well, I didn't want them to be all alone in their life. I didn't want to have just an only child. Like, that's probably the greatest blessing ever, being an only child, because then you add in the second one and the third one, and then they're fighting and taking your stuff. So uh, we had two. So a long time ago, back in 1996 now, not 1991, a friend of ours was getting married at the Kettering Church in uh, Dayton, Ohio, where I was the youth and young adult pastor. And our friend asked Adam to be the Bible boy, so he had to wear a tux. And then she asked Aaron, my other older son, and me to be the candle lighters. They had the things down the aisle. And so Aaron was dressed up, not in a tux. He was in a little suit, and I was in my typical uh, suit. And Adam was in a tux. Well, we had to get to the church early so that we could take pictures, so that they could be in the pictures. And so there was a lot of waiting around. You know how that is with wedding pictures. It can be very tedious, particularly if they want to do them outside. Fortunately, these weren't outside, but a lot of waiting around with nothing to do but be bored. Well, that's a tough assignment for two boys who are about 11 and 9. Sitting around to be quiet, dressed up in church clothes, but then being told to just sit and stay clean and don't do anything. So as the wedding drew near, as this picture time went on, they were bored, they were irritable, and they were just downright tired of being dressed up. Well, I happened to be walking by the room where they were sitting, where they were supposed to be sitting quietly and waiting for the service to begin. And just as I walked by, I heard this loud, scuffling, fighting kind of sound. I, I heard angry voices. And as I stepped into the room, I saw both of them getting up out of their seats. And it was as if my daddy slow motion camera turned on. And I saw everything in perfect slow motion to tell who was at fault and who wasn't at fault. And I saw Adam, my younger son, going to take a swift kick at Aaron. And I saw Aaron in slow motion jump back like a ballet dancer or a uh, matador. And then I saw Adam lunge for Aaron, and I saw Aaron turning away like Marvin Hagler or Sugar Ray Leonard or somebody. And I stepped in, hey, you guys, sit down. And the thought occurred to me as I interrupted their sideshow. You can dress little boys up on the outside in fancy clothes to look like men but they are still little boys on the inside. Because it's not the outside that makes you a man. It's the insides that make you a man. Second example, you can stand in the garage all you want, but that doesn't make you a car. You can go to McDonald's, but that doesn't make you a hamburger. You can go to church, that doesn't make you a Christian. 
You see, the fact that you are inside the church doesn't mean that your heart is holy, that your heart is sanctified before God. But the Bible tells us that in good old King James English, be ye holy as I am holy, God says. But that doesn't mean that you know how to achieve this state. And so the fact that you have a sincere desire to be holy and to live a good, fulfilled life doesn't mean that you are holy. Your sincerity doesn't get you there. In fact, the sad, overwhelming fact, the sad, overwhelming news that can stop you dead in your tracks is you cannot make yourself holy. None of us is good enough to make ourselves holy. No, not one. Only someone or something holy can touch something else and make it holy. So you and I are left with a, como se dice, problemo. How does an unholy, unconsecrated thing, us, become a holy thing when we have no power of our own to change? You see, this is the human problem. This is what might be called the sin problem. Now last week, we started a series entitled High Fashions of the High Priest. And each week we're going to look at something different that the high priest wore or used in the temple service that has important meaning because what he wore, every single thing that the priest wore and did was ordered and detailed out by God. Just read the book of Exodus if you want to see the, the explicit directions and instructions that they were given. Every piece of his clothing, every object used in the tabernacle service was prescribed by God. God was revealing to these people who, who had only recently come out of 400 years of slavery what it meant to be the chosen people of God and how the chosen people of God should live. Last week, I talked about the anointing oil. Before the high priest put on his beautiful, impressive clothing, he himself had to be sanctified, consecrated with the anointing oil. And even though the oil was wonderful, and I talked about what was in the, the anointing oil, and it probably smelled terrific, it wasn't the oil that consecrated the man, it was the Holy Spirit that touched him and filled him that anointed the priest. So as we continue looking at these garments of the priest, the second item to note is very interesting, a very thought-provoking, and yet a bit disturbing, if I might do my R's like we do in Ohio. It's very disturbing. This was the mitre, M-I-T-R-E, mitre, or the turban, or the hat that the priest wore. It says in Exodus 28, the passage that my young friends today Julian, I'm waiting for you to say, is it all right if I read my Bible in church? You, you have to say that. You did that once. I'm, I'm waiting for it every time now. He says, you shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, which is a seal, holy to the Lord, and you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. So each priest wore a turban or a hat, a mitre, but only the high priest had this gold plate on the front. It was a small rectangular plate of solid gold. 
and engraved in Hebrew on the front, it said, Holiness to the Lord. It had holes drilled in the four corners through which a blue cord was threaded through, and it held the plate on the front of his turban. Interesting. In Exodus 39, when they tell this same story, only now they're actually making it, it says they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold. There they describe this turban as like the holy crown. This was the equivalent of a crown that a king or a queen might wear. This is what the high priest wore. It, it was like a holy thing that the priest put on his head when he went into the temple. He was being anointed and touched and on the front of his his miter, his turban, it would say, holiness to the Lord. So then the question is, how, how can this man Aaron, who was the high priest, how can Aaron wear a turban or a miter or a crown that says, holy to the Lord? This is the same man that four chapters later in Exodus 32 melts under the pressure from the people and gives in and lets them make a calf out of gold and when Moses comes down and breaks the Ten Commandments when he sees what Aaron has allowed the people to do and he says hey que paso mi amigo what did you do he goes well they they all just you know they all just wanted a God and so they all threw the gold and look at it just appeared as a calf this man was weak this man gave into the worship of Egypt this was the same man that four chapters before God had said, let's make him a plate and let's put it on his head that says, holy to the Lord. Four chapters later, he shows himself to be anything but holy to the Lord and he shows himself to be fully human. So how do we juxtaposition those two things together? How do we get God, how do we get Aaron from wearing this thing that God says when we see what kind of a man he was? Who was Aaron to wear this and then approach God on behalf of all the Israelites? Just because he was dressed up on the outside in his church clothes doesn't mean that somehow he was holy on the inside to God. You see, God led the, led the Hebrews out of Egypt to Mount Sinai where he gave Moses the commandments and he gave Moses all of the instructions on how to live. And he said to Moses, let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. And remember again, I'll tell you in John chapter 1, it says that Jesus came down and dwelt among his people. Same word. He tabernacled among his people. What God set up in the Old Testament system of a way for them to approach God, Jesus came down to show the way to approach God by tabernacling, by taking on flesh, by becoming Emmanuel. Do we have any babies here named Emmanuel? I see you in the back, my young friend. Can he raise his six-month-old hand? Emmanuel means God with us. So Jesus said, they aren't good enough to come to me, I'm going to come down to them. The tribe of Levi was set apart for the service of the sanctuary, but the priesthood was restricted to the family of Aaron. Aaron and his sons alone were, were permitted to minister before the Lord while the rest of the Levites were to care for the tabernacle. So because the priests had such a high place in the worship of God, they needed high fashion. And God said to them in great King James English, Thou shalt make holy garments for God, Help me, Lord. 
Thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. This is the way God wanted the priests to look. These were the divine directions that God gave to Moses on how to garb his brother. But what about this miter, this turban, this crown on his head? Is this bragging or is this hypocrisy for Aaron to wear this? Was Aaron holy to the Lord? Why should Aaron be wearing this? What about the rest of the people? Is he, is he uh, just a man? Is he somehow better than the other people? So you see, this is the moral dilemma that you and I have to deal with. God calls us to holiness, and yet we are unable to make ourselves holy. The call is to be holy on the outside and holy on the inside. The Bible calls for it. When you come to church, if you come to church all of your life or over a period of time, you will notice that the people are assuming you have a certain level of holiness or decorum, and if you don't, you hide it or else you just stop coming. Because people will expect things of you. Like, oh, you do that. And you sort of, oh, I shouldn't do that. I just picked up from these people. That wasn't something they would do. Maybe I better not talk about that one. You see, this is a human problem in which we find ourselves. Most people realize there's a problem, that there's something wrong in the world, but they, they're just not sure what it is. They see no holiness as they look around. So they know there's a problem. Something's not quite right on a global level. Most people can, can tell. They see people fighting and killing. There's mass shootings. There's suicide bombers. There's people killing their children. There's people doing cruel and hateful things. There's something wrong on a global level. Something's not quite right on a level in our society. There's families. There's, there's divorce. There's family unrest. There's prejudice. There's road rage. There's gun violence. There's dissatisfaction at work. There's this feeling of uneasiness and wondering, is this all there really is to life? To get up every day and to go to work and to come home. And something's not quite right on a personal level. Perhaps you feel it too. Within the human heart, as you might struggle with things like selfishness or greed or bitterness or prejudice or anger or depression or despair or deception, feelings of inadequacy, of never being quite good enough as you compare yourself to those around you. So-and-so is more pretty than me. So-and-so is taller. So-and-so seems to be richer. So-and-so has got nicer shoes. So-and-so has got a better job. So we compare ourselves to each other. You know, comparison is the thief of your joy. So then because we know that something's not quite right, we play games with ourselves and with human nature. Games that since the Garden of Eden have been going on when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, realized that they were naked, and it says then they became ashamed and then they hid and then they blamed each other. You see, that's the human condition. Ashamed, being ashamed, hiding, blaming. Saying it's somebody else's fault and not your own. Most of us since that, since that day have been spending an, an enormous amount of time hiding our true selves, building walls and amusing ourselves and occupying ourselves with things that aren't really doing us any good so we don't feel all alone. 
You see, this consumes energy because then you've got to always be on the alert to see if other people are getting too close to your hiding place, and so you continue to cover up in better ways and better ways until you're completely cocooned in a life of falsivity, if that's a word. So how do you get fixed when we as people are the problem? How could we possibly wear a crown that says holy to the Lord? What audacity did Aaron have to put that on other than the fact that God told him to? I'm reminded of the verse in Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23, which says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Now, if I could put that in the PJV, which would be the Pastor Joe version, it might read like this. Yeah, you're dressed up on the outside like a little boy in fancy clothes for a wedding, but you're still a selfish little boy on the inside. And I got news for you, buddy. The rest of your fellow humans are just like you. There is no one in your group that has it together. So don't even think about someday being dressed up and fancy on the inside and the outside. You are like a selfish boy dressed in church clothes waiting for a wedding to start, so get used to it. That's my version. So it causes us to feel helpless and hopeless as if there is nothing we can do. And so you might want to sing the song, I was born that way by Lady Gaga. Or you might want to sing Everybody Hurts by R.E.M., you see. There's a little something for everybody. It's part of our intrinsic nature that we are broken. And I'm reminded of the thing that the Apostle Paul said. Who shall deliver us from this bondage of death? He realized the human condition. And he asked the question. And he answered it too when he said, Thanks be unto God who has given us salvation through Christ. He knew that the answer to this problem of bondage was not to be found in other people or in trips to places or giving money. It's a matter of submitting yourself to Christ. Can somebody say amen? So the text again says, You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord, and it shall be fastened on the turban by a cord of blue, and it's going to be right there on the front. It seems like this passage is saying if Aaron, as imperfect as he was, as the high priest was called to stand before God like this, then maybe we should be able to stand before God dressed not in church clothes, but at least symbolically in the apparel of the priest and be able to affix a gold place to our head and pronounce ourselves holy to the Lord. Not as, the, as what we are, but as what our desire is. Perhaps this plate is not about who we are, but as who we want to be in Christ. You see, the high priest was the official representative of the nation. He stood between the people and God as the embodiment and the personified person to represent Israel. And so on his forehead, the high priest wore something not to distinguish him from his people, but to identify himself with his people. Not to exclude those behind him, but to include them. I stand before you, God, as the representative of your people. La gente de Dios. 
Holy to the Lord. This is us, Lord. We come before you not as holy, but our desire is to be holy. That's what it seems like to be saying to me. And so he, as the representative of the whole entire nation of Israel, stood before God with this this audacious inscription just ablaze on his forehead as a witness that whosoever, whatsoever holiness might be, it belongs to every member of the true Israel. Not because of them, but because of God. Turn in your Bible, or turn over in your Bible if you need a little exercise. Hebrews chapter 5 in the New Testament. Is it all right to read my Bible in church, Julian? Mm-hmm. Is it? All right. If you want a good New Testament parallel to the Old Testament sanctuary, read the book of Hebrews. We'll preach on that sometime. It's a wonderful book. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. It says, For every high priest, Hebrews is towards the end of the Bible, Colossians, Timothy's, you got your five T books. After your five T books, you got Hebrews, it's before James. Hebrews is not talking about your husband making you tea. It's a funny, stupid pastor joke. Hebrews 5 says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal, now pay attention to this leaders, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. That describes myself and a lot of people I know. But I'm including myself. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only one called by God, just as Aaron was. So it's saying because he was a man, because he was a human, because he was fully human, he can stand before God on behalf of his people that he knows, that he can identify with and say, God, We come to you. You are the Holy One. We are unholy, and we need you to make us holy. So what he had on his head was not a brag. It was a plea for God. Make us like this. Make us holy to you, God. He wasn't above the people. He was called because he was the people. And it's very unfortunate that as time has gone on, the popular notion of holiness has tended to be thought of as holiness means purity, righteousness, moral perfection. But the meaning of holiness is actually consecrated, separated for God, set apart for holy use. So the word is focused not on behavior so much as it is a relationship to God. Holiness is set apart for God. You and I can be holy, which means to be set apart to God if we surrender ourselves to God. 
set apart for God. There is only one way, and that is by surrendering yourself. To turn that around, it's by self-surrender. No one can make you do it. Parents, have you ever looked at your child with love and you say to yourself, oh, I pray that someday they will give their heart to the Lord and you just wish you could explain it to them 10 times if needed or 20 times if needed and soon they would do it, but you can't do it because they can only do it for themselves. Or spouses, have you ever looked at your unbelieving spouse and said to yourself, if only I could help them to open up their heart to Christ. If only I could pay them some money or drive them around or take them to a certain trip. If only I could do those things. But you can't do it. It's a matter of opening up your own heart to God on your own behalf because you are your own person. We become become God's when we... Help me, Lord. We become God's when we say, Lord, take me and mold me and fill me and cleanse me and do with me what you will. Because in that moment when you surrender yourself, you see, that's the essence of holiness. The first and foremost thing is to offer yourself up to God, to offer Him your choice, to offer Him your will. To decide, that's the greatest gift God has given you, is the ability to choose, to do things, to choose with your own heart and your own will to give yourself to Him. There's a great quote from the book Steps to Christ that says, Many are inquiring, how am I to make the surrender of myself to God? You desire to give yourself to Him, but you are weak in moral power, in slavery to doubt, and controlled by the habits of your life of sin. Your promises and your resolutions are like ropes ropes of sand. You cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections, The knowledge of your broken promises and forfeited pledges weaken your confidence in your own sincerity and causes you to feel that God cannot accept you. But you need not despair. What you need to understand is the true force of the will. This is the governing power in the nature of man. The power of decision or of choice. Everything depends on the right action of the will. The power of choice... God has given to men. It is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections, but you can choose to serve Him. You can give Him your will. He will then work in you to will and to do according to His good pleasure. Thus, your whole nature will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. Your affections will be centered upon Him your thoughts will be in harmony with Him. And so when you yield your will to God, when you submit yourself to God, you give Him everything. So listen to me, church. When you submit yourself to God, you give Him everything. Not just your bad points, but your good points as well. You give Him everything that you trust and everything that you don't trust. And you give Him every time you obey. And you give Him every time you don't obey. You give Him the good and the bad and the ugly in your life. You give Him the moments of sunshine and you give Him the moments of the rain. You give Him your trials. You give Him your tribulations. You give Him your gifts to be used in service to Him. You give Him all of your promises, the ones you've kept and the ones you've broken. You give Him all of the lost things that you've lost. All of your joys, help me, joys, all of your sorrows, and when you have given it all to Him, and it is all His, 
Then you've submitted yourselves to him. And then it begins to write on your forehead, holiness to the Lord. Not because of you, but because of him. You become in relationship with Christ, and then it is his holiness and not yours that is written on your forehead. And when you fill your mind with your joyful submission to the will of Christ, and when you occupy your thoughts with his mighty name and his great revelations as he shows himself to you, and you carry him with you into the darkest corners of where you go in your life, even when you're busy with the things around the house and your normal routines, then you can say that holiness to the Lord is self-surrender of the will and the heart and the mind and everything. And that surrender is the essence of your Christian experience. And one final point. It's interesting to me that in Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible, it says that the perfected saints, Revelation 22, verse 4, it says that the perfected saints, John is seeing in vision the world made new. He has seen sorrow and tears and pain all fade away. It says there's no need of the sun because Jesus will be the light. And it says they shall see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. So John, in his closing vision in the last chapter of the Bible, uses this sanctuary, tabernacle, priestly language to describe the relationship between the redeemed and their Redeemer. The old official dress of the high priest comes to mind as John is seeing this, and he paints the future under the form of the past. And he sees before the throne the perfected saints each one with this inscribed on their forehead. Not holiness to the Lord, but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's the only name that is written in the perfected saint's forehead. It's the same as if when you get... Well, kids don't read books as much as they used to, but I love, love books. When I get a good book, one of the first things I do is write my name in. Because when I write my name in my book, that means it's my book, Keep your cotton-picking hands off of it. Don't touch my book. You touch my book, you're in trouble. Don't even look at my book. Anybody wants to borrow my book, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Because when I put my name in my book, that's my book. So when somebody's name is in something, that's a sign of ownership. When a rancher takes his cattle, and I've never done this, I don't want to see this done, I don't even like the idea that they do this, but when the rancher takes his cattle, and there's probably somebody here that's seen this, and that's okay, you're farmers and I'm not. Rancher takes his cattle and he takes that hot thing, what's that hot thing called? A brand. And he stamps on the, on the cow's little shank over here, and he puts his brand. What does that mean? It means he owns it. So when somebody writes their name on something, it's a sign of ownership. So when John sees in Revelation 22, the redeemed, he sees the name of Jesus on their forehead. Because that's a sign of ownership. It means absolute ownership. So the outward garment of the high priest was meant to reflect not just the high priest and his life, but an inner conviction where all of God's people would stand up before God and say, I am yours because you gave yourself 
to us first. And all that I own, and all that I am, and all that I hold dear is yours. And so I want to write upon my heart and on my forehead that I am yours, Lord. I want to write it upon every part of who I am to him who claims to know me, who has me in his time and his talents. Everything that I have, I want to claim it on my forehead that I am holy to the Lord because of the Lord. Not because of me, but because of him. And So as we see the priest stand before God, he stands representing the people of God. And God sees all of the human imperfections. And He sees the human imperfection of Aaron himself, who allowed the people to build an idol that wanted to take them back to Egypt. Aaron in his own mind was willing to go back to Egypt, if only in worship. God sees in Aaron, and when He looks at Aaron, He sees His people that He loves. He's not looking at the behavior of Aaron He's looking at his own heart and seeing his people that he created and that he loves and that he made. So when you see your weaknesses, your weaknesses should remind you not of how weak you are, but of the perfection of God. Your weaknesses should drive you not from God, but to God. Your weaknesses should not cause you to look at yourself and be ashamed. Your weaknesses should drive you, drive you to God for redemption. Am I speaking to myself here? Don't hide in shame from God. Come to Him with yourself. Show Him everything that you have. Give yourself to Him and allow Him to proclaim upon you holy to the Lord and write the name of the Lord Jesus upon your forehead. We're singing that song at the end of uh, every one of these sermons because that's my desire for myself and for you is that this would be your prayer, your plea that you want to be like Jesus in your heart. Because that's where it starts. It starts in your heart. You, can't, uh, you can do all the things on the outside, but unless your heart's changed, that's not real conversion. So I would pray for myself and for you that we would allow ourselves to be converted, to be fully Christ's, allow Him to change us and use us, and enjoy the life we have here as we serve Him, as we wait for eternal life. But if you're just trying to avoid this world and make it to eternal life, you're going to be miserable. God has created us for service and joy here and in the world to come. So I pray that that is your blessing to serve him now and serve him then. May his name be written on your forehead and in your heart. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for blessings. Thank you for Jesus that though we were once yet sinners, he died for us. And that he came and rectified the situation. So Lord, we pray in his name that our lives would be changed and given over to him fully, and that holy to the Lord would not say something about us, but something about him, that he has called us and redeemed us and used us and changed us from the inside out. And may his name be written on our foreheads always, I pray in his name. Amen.